What's going on, all you good people out there? Welcome to Unrestricted. I am your host, Ben Lieber. I hope everybody had a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, I'm really excited, as always, for my podcast this week, my guest, and the topic itself. It's a topic and a thing that I practice myself, and I just think that I wanted to get more information out on it for myself personally, and I think it's all relevant information to share with you all out there because I think that you can benefit from it too. So what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about intermittent fasting. Yes, you've probably heard of it. You probably have done it and practiced it yourself, but I was able to get on Dr. Amy Shaw. She's one of the leading experts in intermittent fasting in the world. Um, she does talks and uh, lectures, and she does a bajillion podcasts about getting the the benefits out about intermittent fasting. And the great thing about intermittent fasting is it's so easy and it's free. You don't have to pay for pills. You don't have to pay for doctor's prescriptions. It's something that we can all do with remarkable, remarkable health benefits for you. Dr. Amy Shaw, as you uh, will listen I'm going to go through all of her credentials because it's a long list as the interview starts. But I just want to put out there that Dr. Amy Shaw uh, has a book that I do want to help promote her book. It's called I'm So Effing Tired, which is a fantastic name for a book. You can find it on Amazon and Changing Hands Bookstore. You can also find everything relevant to her on her website, amymdwellness.com. That's amymdwellness.com. Uh, you can also find her on Instagram at FastingMD and on Twitter at AmyShawMD. I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. I hope you guys come away from this podcast Maybe feeling like you've, you've got some control in your health life, that you can do something that is free and easy. And yes, does it take a crazy amount of willpower at times? Absolutely. But good things aren't always just easy to do. Sometimes you have to put the work into it. And sometimes that work just comes from your own stupid brain. So uh, I hope you guys all enjoy this podcast. Uh, I certainly did. So here she is, Dr. Amy Shaw on Unrestricted. Well, hello, Dr. Amy Shaw. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. Uh, yes. Well, thanks for uh, for jumping on Unrestricted. Um, you know, it's always fun for me. Yeah, I started this podcast about a year ago. And like a lot of podcasters, didn't really know what I was doing, just kind of knew a little bit about it. Uh, have been doing it now for over a year, you know, mostly for people and things around the Twin Cities, which is where I'm located. Um, but I, th- I thought I'd just reach out because I follow you on Instagram and you're exactly the type of person and doctor that that I like and I'm interested in. I'm like, hey, I'll just reach out and see if you're interested. So thanks so much. I know you're extremely busy. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Uh, okay, so let's go through this. Now, to let all the listeners know about who you are and what you've accomplished in your young life, um, I know that this is how a lot of podcasts start. So you're going to sit back for about 10 minutes while I go through all of your, all of your accolades and the credentials. So you are Dr. Amy Shaw. You're a double board certified MD with both a degree in medicine and nutrition, which is uh, very, very rare. So you've got two of those. Um, you went to Cornell uh, University where you are magnum cum laude in nutrition. You got some more extensive medical training at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and also at Harvard You've been listed as a top 100 women in wellness back in 2015. You're one of the top doctors in the Phoenix area. You wrote a new book called I'm So Effing Tired, which was released back in March. You can find that on Amazon and Changing Hands Bookstore. You have amymdwellness.com. You are also found on Instagram at FastingMD and on Twitter at AmyShawMD. And you specialize in gut health, fasting, uh, immune health, allergies, uh, circadian rhythm and cellular circadian rhythm. Uh, you probably fly planes and you do all, all sorts of other stuff. What, did I miss anything? That's, um, no, I cannot fly planes. And um, this weekend I was at a conference and I got to wear a Britney mic, but I couldn't sing or dance. So those are things that are not on my resume. So you do have limitations. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's still time though. I mean, we have many years. (laughs) Although I don't think the singing and dancing is going to come with practice. You know, sometimes you just have to have that, like you can practice all you want, but you're never going to be an expert. So probably flying, then singing and dancing down the line. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Leave, leave the singing and dancing to your kids. I'm sure. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. TikTok. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, so I know that you're on a, a tight timeline. So let's just get kind of right into this. I know a lot of people out there have heard, have heard about fasting, uh, intermittent fasting, you know, time-restricted eating. There's different terms for all of it. But in a sense, what is fasting to you? And how do you explain fasting for health? You know, fasting is really the natural way we're supposed to be um, eating and not eating. For example, thousands of years ago, when we were not, did not have access to 24-hour drive-thrus, to microwave, to refrigerators, we were literally fasting every single day, just out of, you know, that was life. We would eat our last meal at sundown or shortly thereafter, and we would sleep without food, uh, wine and, you know, last desserts. And you would wake up in the morning, you wouldn't just roll out of bed and have a, you know, a protein shake or an orange juice. You would usually either hunt or forage or at least move around for an hour or two before you would sit down to eat a meal. And so that's kind of what was so enticing to me when I read the research about intermittent fasting is that this is natural. Our bodies were genetically programmed um, and evolutionarily developed to intermittent fast. And so when we try to eat 16 hours a day, which is the average amount of hours that people eat, and we're eating late into the night when our bodies are not equipped to handle big loads, and then we're eating first thing in the morning, um, and usually high glycemic index, like super processed foods first thing in the morning, and then we're eating six meals a day as according to the trainer's, you know, request or whatever. And we're literally creating disease and shortening our lives and feeling super sluggish and um, having all kinds of disease and GI issues. So when you say that we are genetically built for this fasting period, when we, when you dove into the science of it, as you're going through all of your schooling, what is it about, about the actual science biologically? What is, what, what were the markers that you learned to tell us like, Hey, we're actually designed to not eat five meals a day all day long and wake up first thing in, in the morning and start eating again. Yeah. The biggest um, sign is that all of our biological rhythms, our hormones, our, um, um, our, our digestion, everything works on these things called circadian rhythms. It's the light and dark sun and um, darkness, 24 hour rhythms. Our bodies are designed to work with that, meaning that 80% of our functions in our body are working on a circadian pattern. Some functions like breathing and heartbeats that, I mean, they go all day and all night, pretty much the same, but with um, everything else, insulin, pancreatic function, uh, brain, how everything works on a pattern because our bodies know that at night they should be working on some kind of repair and consolidation and renewal. And during the day, they're supposed to focus on digestion and folk, um, and uh, 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 housekeeping tasks. So honestly, it's like programmed in our body. For example, the best example I thought that changed my mind was when you infuse sugar like glucose into someone. So if I put an IV in you and every hour I gave you the same amount of glucose, you would be able to, you know, take it into your cells. Your insulin would be um, rise, but stable all throughout the day. And what happens is at about eight o'clock, this switches over. Hmm. Your body um, starts to do their nightly functions and your ability to take in that glucose is um, impaired. And so what happens is you get a much bigger spike. Um, you get GI issues because the pancreatic enzymes have like shut off practically for the night. Um, you'll feel hungover and a headache. It's almost like you ask your brain to stay up, um, super late, and then you want it to function early in the morning. You know, that feeling of yeah. and hangover. That's what your GI tract is feeling when you're doing that too. They need, just like your brain, you need sleep or rest time for, your gut. So it's literally what uh, the, the medical way of thinking about it is like circadian gut rest equals intermittent fasting. And that's why I tweak my fasting to kind of follow that because fasting can mean anything. It's like saying exercise. Um, you can 
exercise, you know, do a triathlon or do an ultra marathon, or you could exercise by going for a walk or doing Pilates or Tai Chi, like that's different exercise, but it's still termed exercise. Same with intermittent fasting. There are people who say like, oh, I fast for 72 hours. And then there's people who are like, I fast for 14 hours. There's a huge difference between those two, but I try to stick on the side of which one matches my circadian rhythms better, uh, mm-hmm. the daylight pattern. That way I can time it so to optimize that. So the way I like to do it is look at the sun. Um, and, you know, this obviously varies by season, but technically, you know, around six or seven for where you live, you know, at some point there's no sun. And so you have to <laughs> right. kind of just use, um, use, you know, loose guidelines for that. So two to three hours before bed is how I tell people so that you can kind of like say, well, I don't, I don't have to depend on a, on a sunny day, two to three hours before bed, stop eating. And then you fast overnight. And then maybe in the morning you go for like a workout um, and some sunlight gets to reset the circadian rhythms. And then you break your fast after that. So that circadian style fasting is not only easy for a busy person, it is um, evolutionarily sound. And um, if you want to increase from there, you can definitely push back your um, like meal time. Like you can push up your dinner push back the time you break your fast into a longer period, but you can start literally, somebody could start today at 12 hours and move up from there. And even if you get up to 13, 14, 15 hours, you're going to get benefits. You don't have to go to the 16, 18, 20 hour mark if you don't want to. Well, I think that's the best thing about this, this style of, of looking at health and wellness is it's free and easy. You yeah. know, <laughs> like yeah. there's, there's no, yeah, there's no expensive supplements to buy. I don't have to sign up for a gym membership to do this. I don't have to hire a trainer. It's literally just you and your own willpower. And that, I think that's, that's the best part about it. I do want to rewind though, when you were talking about just, you know, shutting down your system at night, you know, following your natural circadian rhythms that even internally, even though that you might feel like you're somewhat wired at night, I know my wife is like this, that she gets that late night rush and she might be tired at nine o'clock, but then she hits that rush. And then she's still awake at like 1130 or midnight. Um, But internally your body's kind of wanting to shut down and rest. What is happening biologically when you're, you know, that internally you want to shut down, but your brain is telling you, Hey, I want to stay up. And I kind of want to snack. Yeah. You know what? I know that there's a gut mind and brain connection, but it seems like they're constantly fighting with each other, especially at night. Oh, absolutely. And in our world. Okay. So what happens when we trick, what happens in our modern world is we trick our uh, bodies, um, our brains. What we say to our brains is there's emergency out there. Um, I'm seeing bright lights. I'm in a state of neurological um, sympathetic activation and I should not be going to sleep. So imagine this, you're 5,000 years ago, you're in a cave, but there's, there is all this bright light that all of a sudden comes to you and there's danger. So maybe you're getting chased or there's some kind of imminent danger. Your brain is not going to let you sleep. Your brain is evolutionarily wired to say, oh crap, there is some imminent danger. I know the body's functions are shutting down, but this guy needs to stay up because he's going to get eaten or killed if he falls asleep. And so we get all this bright light, we get blue light, we, t- we have these activating conversations, we uh, are really stressed and not managing it well, and it kind of comes to a head. And so we put our bodies into this um, sympathetic uh, activation where it's sensing danger. And then we wonder why we can't sleep. And then we wonder why the next day we feel like crap because we couldn't sleep. So when you're, when you're saying light, you're saying it could be light from TV, phones, computers, iPads like that. At that point in the night, it's store, it's still stimulating your body to be like, Oh, I gotta be alert for something or whatever you're watching on TV creates an emotion in you, whether it's excitement when you're watching a comedy or watching something sad is that sort of what you're talking about from an evolutionary standpoint like of sitting in the cave 
Yeah, and unfortunately, um, the, and I think that the smart entrepreneurs in the room will figure out a way to, around this, but most of the lights that we see in the evening, the fluorescent overhead lights, the TVs, the computers, the iPhones are all blue light based which is a stimulating light to our brain. And so it stimulates that part where I said, like this activation of the sympathetic system. You know, when you see dim yellow, the old incandescent bulbs that we used, you know, mm -hmm. not too long ago, that has very little blue light. And so really? you can imagine that it's easy if you wanted to make a change like today, you can go and change out the light bulbs in your room. Some people even put red bulbs, which is like, you know, even going to the next level, but make your room, like take out any fluorescent lighting and you can um, dim out, you know, the, the light that you see in the evenings and really turn off your devices. Uh, I don't turn off my phone um, until like 30 minutes before bed, but the TV and the computer and all that is turned off at least two hours before bed. Um, and so, and you can put like light blocker. I mean, you can do all the stuff, but really the best thing to do is turn it off so that your brain doesn't have to, um, you know, process all this activating information. You know, you, I think everyone can relate to that phone call or the email that you get right before bed. That mm -hmm. is the most scared, like upsetting thing that you can think of. And all you do is ruminate about that and you can't sleep. Um, and so I think that having a boundary in the evenings and the mornings, um, just to get your mind and your body right is like one of the easiest and life-changing things that will help you. So fasting is one of the things that you can do to kind of bookend the days. And then you can use that as a trigger to like, I know when I do my little bit longer fasting, even if it's 16 or 18 hours, it's a time for me in the evening to, um, start to wind down earlier. And then also in the morning to get some sunlight, get some mindfulness in, get a workout in. That way I can get my full fast in. So it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm so excited to share with you a fantastic new product that I've been using for over a year now. It's called Iaso. Iaso gets its name from the Greek goddess of recuperation. And that's exactly what this at-home product does. It helps you recuperate from any pain discomfort or injury you may be dealing with by using cold laser technology. This is a technology that's been well-researched for over a hundred years and it's proven to work too. So it's not one of those, um, those fad health hacks that we see all the time. It also stimulates your body's natural healing process. So there's no drugs involved by increasing the blood flow using this light therapy. And it's all done painlessly. You'll never even feel it. Uh, normally you have to go to a clinic to get this treatment done, but Yaso has engineered the technology to fit into this tiny, cute little device that you can use at home and hands-free. I use it all the time while I'm just working on my computer. I use it uh, on my joints, back pain, and specifically the bulging disc in my neck, which give me some nerve problems and such a pain in the ass, but Yaso helps in this area so much. So here's the best part. Yaso is running a deal right now to save you big time bucks. Go to wellscare.net. That's wellscare.net and hit the shop icon to get your device today. You have to act now because this deal is only for seven days. It starts Monday, September 14th and only lasts a week. These devices are a must need for your at-home care and also perfect for any healthcare providers out there. You can use it on, on your patients because it's completely safe and effective. Go to wellscare.net and give yourself the pain relief you need. We are supported by my buddy Pat Kelly and his insurance business, Wexford Harbor Insurance. They've been my insurance provider for years, and I can't recommend them enough. I used to be with one of those uh, big box companies, and I just thought all insurance was relatively the same, but it's not. Every family has different needs, whether it's the number of kids or cars, boats, personal items, homes, umbrella protection, whatever it is, Wexford Harbor can tailor the coverage to you. They will find the best fit and value to save you money, but give you the best protection available. They can do that because they're an independent family-owned company that has access to over 40 different carriers. You're not locked into one company's group of coverage silos. Pat and his partner, Scott Michael Bust, will optimize and craft a personalized insurance package for you and your family. With over 50 years of experience between the two of them, they will give you the attention, service, and value you deserve. And their reach is far and wide, people. They service Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Colorado, and for you snowbirds, Arizona and Florida. 
Check them out at wexford-harbor.com slash unrestricted. That's wexford-harbor, H-A-R-B-O-U-R.com slash unrestricted. And you can email them at info at wexford-harbor.com. I know that I, I just said, you know, what, five, 10 minutes ago, I'm like, hey, the great thing is, you know, fasting is so easy. It is so hard at the end of the night, though, to shut all your devices off. And I'm not even, I'm not even a big, big social media person. But I do, let's just say I'm watching um, a game on TV, you know, let's yeah. just say a Sunday night game or Monday night football game. You know, I have my phone with me as I'm just kind of yeah. watching and scrolling through, seeing what people are saying. I'm, maybe I'm not active, but I'm actively participating in just what they say. It's, yeah. I would rather fast for 24 hours <laughs> than yeah. shut my phone off at night. I 100% agree. Like, even getting that 30 minutes before bed feels like it's like three hours because um, the big thing I did, and I, I think anybody can do, you can do anybody who's listening is put some boundaries out. Um, a lot of people who work uh, on computers all the time, they get emails and asks and requests at all hours. And um, I think that they feel like they can't shut down their phone or their computer because they would be like out of work or people depend on them. So figure out what that means for you. It may be really awkward in the first couple of months or weeks of saying, hey, I don't answer emails after eight or I don't take mm-hmm. calls after eight unless it's an emergency. And it may be really hard with your lifestyle or, but putting up those boundaries is so life-changing that I felt like it's worth it for me to miss out on some of the um, fun shows or whatever. And I don't, you know, I don't say that you can't do that. You can definitely find a way around it. Like maybe you um, do the intermittent fasting slash um, circadian rhythm thing three days a week. Um, And Mm -hmm. then, you know, the other four days a week, you're doing your own old routine and you're still going to see a big difference. You know, I, I do want to talk to you about the, because you're such an expert in, in so many different areas, especially gut health and all this other stuff, but you, you keep alluding to this ancestral way that, that things used to be. And biologically, biologically, we're still basically cavemen. You know, we, we have altered our lifestyles and the cultures have changed and technology has changed. And yes, we don't live in caves anymore, but from a cellular level, we're still kind of cavemen. Yeah. That, that being said, then why, then why do we have so many diets? You know, like, and I know, and I know that the Neanderthals and the early man lived in all sorts of places around the world, but it just seems like from an evolution standpoint, shouldn't we just kind of be on this more paleo like diet where that's, if that's how biologically we're made, isn't that sort of the diet we should be following? Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. Um, there's so what we know right now is that there's so many varied diets around the world that works for people. And so to say that there is any one particular way of eating um, that is um, the ideal way is is difficult. There are things that are in common. For example, people didn't eat processed foods back then and right. should not. We, I mean, hundred percent data supports and history supports that processed food has killed our diet. So that goes without saying anything you're doing, you cut out the processed foods and then, um, you know, fiber, that's the other big thing. So we know from it's crazy. They have remains of humans, um, from thousands of years ago, and then they matched it up with the tribes that still live in kind of like a caveman like way. And they found that the biggest difference, one of the biggest differences between us and even our grandparents and great grandparents is the amount of gut bacteria, the varied amount and this total amount, meaning the different strains and the total amount. What that means is when, you know, whatever we were eating back then just had a lot more fiber and had a lot more different types of bacteria that seemed to be very, very protective and very healthful. Uh, and this is something I think I have been really diving into because these gut bacteria, they aren't just there living their own lives, like, you know, in our bodies, they're actually the army. They're carrying the walkie talkies. They're sending, um, instructions to our immune system, to our brain. And we are starving them to death, you know, by not giving them fiber 95% 
of Americans don't get enough fiber. And that, and it's a fact that we need a certain amount of fiber to keep them alive and to keep them healthy. And so that part of it helped me kind of design a diet that said, okay, I'm not going to tell people what to eat, but I'm going to tell people, hey, you need to have a ton of uh, fiber in your diet, natural. Don't ask for the supplement because the next question is always like, oh, what brand? No, You're not right, brand. Right. Like, it's the food that you eat. Um, and the second thing is cut out processed foods and sugar, because we both know, we all know that, you know, easier said than done. Obviously. I mean, I myself have a hard time finding tons of convenient foods on my, on the go lifestyle that are completely unprocessed and sugar-free, but you know, you do the best you can. And then after that, when it comes to meat, um, it's really uh, it's really a big debate. I think that most people will agree and most experts will agree that as long as you keep 85 to 90% of your diet varied plants and, uh, and fiber, you can do whatever you want with that last five to 10%. And if you grew up in a place where the delicacies were, you know, local fish, there's I don't think there's any reason to argue that you should take that out of your diet. Like I love, I grew up, as, uh, I'm Indian and I grew up vegetarian and even dairy is a huge part of our cultural foods. And it, when I tried to go dairy free, it was super difficult because it was all the traditional foods that um, I grew up, my gut bacteria grew up um, having. So I understand the issues that people have with taking out certain foods. But as long as they're unprocessed, and as long as the uh, bulk of your diet is fitting these categories, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. No, I, I hate to admit it. And it was just kind of a fun experiment because I do like experimenting with just different, di different fads and different health things and stuff like that. I did the carnivore thing for a month. And let me tell you, Doc, it was, it was fun in a way because- yes. Because yeah. I am, I am just a meat eater. Like I, yeah. I do love, I do love a fatty ribeye and, and all this other stuff. Um, it got to be a little daunting, you know, as far as the food prep goes, always kind of thinking about it, even making meals in bulk and all. I tried to follow the tips like, oh, on Sunday, I'm just going to make a whole bunch of chicken thighs and all this other yeah. stuff. Um, and I went and got my blood tested before and after. So I didn't just, I didn't do it just for fun. I was actually kind of just doing it for research. And uh, what I found was a lot of my markers and stuff for inflammation actually went down. Yeah. Um, but I was damn near scurvy level of low vitamin C. Yeah. Like it was awful. Cause I was not eating nose to tail. I was not eating liver. I wasn't eating heart. I wasn't even yeah. eating the organs and stuff like that. So that's a little bit my fault. But, um, my wife was like, you have no color. Yeah. <laughs> like you have nothing, yeah. there's no color. And you're like, I know, but I lost like 12 pounds. I actually felt great. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it was more so the elimination diet as it yeah. was the, the amount of just the meat I was eating, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that if you went on an elimination diet, um, and I have people all the time going on elimination diets for various reasons, um, everyone feels better, but it's just so hard, like carnivore or any of these elimination diets to stick with this for long-term. Like I know that gluten and dairy are terrible to my immune system and my gut. Um, and I try my hardest to keep it out of my diet, but even as making, like I, this is my life. Like this is what I advise people to do. And even then it's super difficult to do it. Yeah. In my whole journey, uh, a lot of my listeners have heard this before, but my whole health and wellness journey started uh, back in 2006. Um, I'd always had like weird random hives when I was a kid. And it was always just like, oh, you must have ate something or did whatever. You may, maybe it's uh, the laundry detergent or something. Um, but then as I got older and back in 2006, I was breaking out in gigantic hives. And you probably understand like they were classified as giant hives. They weren't just like the little, wasn't rashy, it was giant hives. Yeah. And I was getting more and more migraines, which I had started probably when I was like 16 years old and my mom had them. So I was chalked up like, well, it's genetics. I just, I guess there's nothing I can do about it. Um, so I, I went to so many traditional Western medicine doctors. Uh, I even went to the Mayo Clinic down in Rochester, which is, you know, just an hour and a half South of where I am. And they, they basically just told me to keep taking an Allegra. 
I mean, that, mm-hmm. that was like legitimately like their di- their, uh, their advice was, yeah. Hey, it could be a lot of different things. Keep taking your pill. And I said, that's not good enough. I want to figure out what the root cause is. So I finally went to a functional medicine doctor, long story short, we did a food panel, did a food test and found out I was gluten sensitive. Amy, I got off gluten in, for a week and everything went away within a wow. week. And then I'm like, okay. He goes, okay, well now, now have like kind of a, a bread heavy breakfast, like on a Saturday. And I did, and my hives came back. So I, I have been, been gluten-free since 2006 and awesome. I, I can't, I'm so thankful that uh, people in your world have gotten the word out because I, you know, kind of on the slide got ridiculed for it and like, oh, you're just doing this as a fad and whatever. I'm like, no, yeah. no, I'm serious. Like I, I got tested. So, yeah. so let, let me, let me do ask you this because I still get pushback from people that say food tests don't work. Mm-hmm. In my experience, it did. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where do you sit on these, these blood sample food tests in which you yeah. you're testing your body and your blood versus, you know, 200 different foods? Yeah, they're not accurate. Um, you're lucky that, so here's the thing. If you take gluten, dairy, sugar, um, eggs, and nuts. Uh, oh, and shellfish. Six foods. Mm-hmm. These six foods make up 95% of food sensitivities and food allergies. You might want to throw in corn and sugar as like a processed, uh, you know, trigger. So when they compared people who did an elimination diet, and they compared people who got food sensitivity testing all different kinds, IgG, and um, there's all different kinds of they found that elimination diets were actually better. So I'm not saying that that was false, but that you could have said, you know what? I'm not going to spend money. I'm not going to go. I'm just going to, I heard, you know, Dr. Amy on a podcast and I'm just going to go on an elimination diet and see if my hives get better. And guess what? They will get better. Um, and so what I mean to say is it's awesome that it worked for you and it does for people, but they could just have done the elimination diet and actually gotten the same results because 95% of people are going to fall in that kind of um, range of gluten, dairy, sugar, uh, nuts, uh, shellfish, eggs. Um, and those are our toxics, you know, food allergies. And then we basically see, hey, um, you know, there are, if you have a very severe allergy to one of those, um, mm-hmm. there's a possibility that you may be allergic to something else that's rare, but those are the things. So not to say that you shouldn't have um, done that, but your journey might have been a little bit different. But if you had been, gone to a practitioner, say you came to me and I might say, hey, Ben, before we run those tests, why don't you just try an elimination diet for a couple, like a week or two and see what happens? So what I'm saying is, yes, you could... Um, food sensitivity testing is still not better than uh, what you would do on your own. So that, so I advise people, Hey, um, you know, know the facts about it before you spend the money. That's all. Yeah, no, that, that is good advice. I guess it was at that point in time, because as you know, the world of functional medicine and nutrition as health has come a long ways since even 2006. So when I left the Mayo Clinic and they kept telling me just to take a pill as yeah. opposed, I mean, they didn't even offer an elimination diet. They didn't yeah, say no, anything that about that. An option probably at that. No, yeah. no. So I'm like, uh, the hell with you guys. Like I, I'm, I need to go find some other answers. So then, you know, when all that was done and, you know, this doctor also said like, listen, you got leaky gut syndrome and you got, you know, you're, you're internally, you're kind of a wreck. So let's just kind of do a hard reset. It did work for me. So I guess that's why, um, you know, I'm such a proponent of at least trying the elimination diet diets yeah. versus leaky taking gut. Leaky gut is a source of so much of, you know, hives, inflammation, headaches, all kinds of things, because we have one layer of our own cells in our gut. The rest of it is gut bacteria. So if you say, you know, just like anybody else, maybe you were eating a, you know, pretty healthy diet, but it wasn't very full of fiber and um, maybe you took antibiotics or maybe some of those good bacteria were uh, got uh, killed in there. And so what you were left with was one layer of cells uh, trying to be that army. And so then you end up getting damage. Um, you end up getting a lot more inflammation. You get a lot of um, crosstalk that's uh, 
inflammatory and you get all these weird symptoms people will get all different kinds of things like you know they'll get autoimmune things that people always say like Hashimoto's and even celiac is due to that autoimmune conditions so the argument for autoimmune disease is literally that poor gut health that's happening um and it's it's hard for people because we want to just have an easy fix um, and fixing that layer of gut bacteria is not as easy as just taking a probiotic. And I wish it, would, it was just that easy, literally changing your day-to-day -day lifestyle um, to, to build that bacteria back up. And some of, you know, the carnivore thing, some of, there's some advantages that could happen because you're not eating some of those processed foods. You're not going to have so much inflammation in that gut area. And maybe you're feeding um, some of the good bacteria, the things that they want. But all in all, um, you probably could do carnivore plus vegetables and a little bit of fruit, and you would have gotten the same results and probably not had the issue that you did. Yeah, no, I think I actually kind of want to try it again with the yeah. carnivore plus because I, yes. I do, I did enjoy it and it was a good way for me. I know that I, I should be better about some of the, the choices I make. Like I love cheese and I just, yeah. you know, I'm just a cheese eater and and I know that I could probably cut down on that or eliminate it at some point in time. Um, and that was a good reminder of like, okay, I'm getting all the nutrients I need. I'm fully functioning. My workouts felt super strong. That was the yeah. weird thing. Um, now they didn't last very long. At about the 45 minute mark, I was, yeah, <laughs> I, was kind yeah. of, I was kind of pooped. Yeah. But um, no, I think I would probably do the carnivore plus. Now, yeah. your your advice on the, and I'll try to turn this, you know, circle this back to the fasting part of it. But when you mentioned fiber, are we talking... Are we talking um, the sort of like the kimchis and the kefirs and stuff like that, like which are good pro and prebiotics, or are you talking root vegetables as well? Like what are kind of your top choices yeah. for fiber yourself? Fiber is really confusing because um, most of us don't even know. I mean, we've heard of fiber one cereal, <laughs> like that's about it. Any vegetable is full of fiber. So anything that feels like uh, any vegetable that has, actually really, there's no vegetable out there that doesn't have fiber. So I put it into a couple categories. So um, leafy greens um, provide a certain uh, nutrient profile, probably the most dense nutrient profile. Then we have um, the cruciferous vegetables, which is your broccoli, your cauliflower, your Brussels sprouts family, that has a anti-cancer um, compound in it. Um, and that is full of fiber as well. And then we have our root vegetables, our potatoes, our yams, our um, sweet potatoes, which are also full of fiber. So you really have fiber in all of the vegetables. And so if you include, say, vegetables in each meal, um, you know, you pretty much can get to the recommended fiber dose of like 30 grams or um, up to 50 grams, 30 to 50 grams a day. Uh, berries are an amazing source of fiber. So blackberries, blueberries, raspberries, and strawberries. And uh, having uh, oats uh, is a amazing source mm. of fiber. And then of course you talk about your specialty fibers like prebiotic and probiotics. Probiotics are fermented bacteria, like literally bacteria that you're adding back. So those are like having one tablespoon a day of something fermented. It could be a kombucha, which is fun. Tastes like soda. It can yep. be, you know, kimchi. It can be pickles. But as long as those pickles are actually fermented, not just um, pickled. Um, so there's a difference. And um, you can use now Whole Foods has like a whole section of like fermented veggies that you can have uh, that can provide you with bacteria and fiber, like the the actual replacement of the bacteria instead of just feeding them. And then prebiotic fiber is special fiber that seems to be especially helpful to those gut bacteria. Onions, garlic. Um, I don't know if you've ever had jicama, uh, but it's like- uh, I have, yep. Yeah. And then um, and those cruciferous vegetables, like those broccoli stalks and you know eating, uh, uh, those are amazing prebiotics for- that uh, a food for your existing bacteria. The reason why probiotic pills aren't like the best idea is because if you imagine a plane flying over a barren field 
and uh, the plane, you know, you stand outside the plane and you kind of like sprinkle seeds onto that barren field. And you're like, well, I hope something grows. Like, you know, doing yeah. my best here. And then you fly away. And that's exactly how, what we're doing when we're taking probiotics. We're like, well, I don't know, like maybe once something will stick, but we're not taking into account, like this is a barren field. This is uh, a desert and we're putting in like, you know, tropical plants. So you really have to work with your own gut bacteria trying to grow that own thing. And unfortunately, we don't have reliable ways to know exactly, you know, which bacteria grows with what in your own body, which I think is a future. Uh, but what we do know, and there are some really good gut tests, but they're just not, like, they're not there yet. Um, then you just eat the foods that uh, have fermented uh, bacteria in them, and they'll selectively grow the bacteria that actually exists. So you and I can have completely different microbiomes all different bacteria and we can be equally healthy. And so the point is not to look like someone else's bacterial um, profile. It's to uh, really grow that your own garden. Um, but we do know that if you have someone healthy in your family or friend circle and they're extremely healthy, having um, the same diet or similar diets or sharing food with them or sharing bacterial actually can be very beneficial. We know that transplanting a microbiome from one person to the next can be transformative in their health. Um, it so sounds gross by the way they do it. Oh yeah. It's super gross. It's actually outlawed in um, the U S now because it is, it is. Uh, what happened is it's really a sad story because it's so transformative and such an amazing therapy for people who are suffering, like not for me and you, but maybe for someone who has, extreme colitis and you know they just uh can't get it there's a few conditions it's still um a, like a late treatment for but for most conditions except for one it has been outlawed and part of it may be because of you know interests of you know the company we all talk about these conspiracy theories but in this case it's kind of true like to outlaw that but allow so many of the other things that we do. I mean, yes, it's risky. Yes, you have to test someone's microbiome there. And yes, you have to make sure everything's sterile because it is, you can transfer diseases too. You know, yeah, yeah. So I, I do want to stop you real quick, just so everybody is clear. We're, we're, we're on the same page, but we haven't really said, uh, talked yeah. about stool transplanta transplantation. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you're so taking the- fecal transplants. Yes, yeah. yes, fecal transplants. Um, and literally taking the gut bacteria um, from one person and putting it in the next, the, it comes from mice studies. So in mouse studies, when you transplant um, the microbiome, the, fe the feces from one mouse that has schizophrenic traits to a mouse that is normal, like non-schizophrenic, uh, you can create a schizophrenic mouse by transplanting. So, I mean, that is just crazy, right? Yeah, so I didn't know imagine that. Imagine the therapeutic effects that we could do, like what kind of diseases that we could be curing um, by doing this. Yeah, well, think about, you know, all the, the blue zone studies and all these longevity studies and these centenarians that, we, that we, we're all like infatuated with. And it's like, oh, well, what's their lifestyle like? What are they eating? And what if it was as simple as, man, they have this amazing microbiome that we could all benefit from. Yeah. If we could somehow replicate that, yeah. um, that could you solve a lot of things, right? Yeah. Mental health disease, uh, long-term disease. I mean, it's like, you can't even to put your finger on um, what kind of benefits it would have. It's insane. So, you know, there's so much interest in how to, how do you do this? but in a way that doesn't require someone to go into a, a clinic and have, um, you know, a colonoscopy, basically, you know, if you've ever had a cold, I've never had a colonoscopy, but obviously I work in the medical field. So I know it's very uncomfortable. You have to fast for like a whole day. Mm -hmm. They go into your colon um, and they basically extract whatever they can in terms of bacteria, whatever's there, old, old stool. And it sounds gross, but then they purify it. They check it for disease, make sure that there's no cancer or disease, whatever viruses, and then um, they can transplant it into someone maybe who is suffering with very severe disease. And this could be life-changing or life-saving for them. I think it's legit. Like I would, I would do it. 
Uh, yeah. And you know, where my, my stupid brain goes is, man, if I had this when I was in my young twenties and what yeah. if like, what if like Michael Jordan was a donor yeah. and I, and I could, what if it, like I had somehow gotten his brain power yeah. into mine by a yeah. fecal transplant. I'd do that all. I'd do that instead of like any sort of yeah. steroids or anything like that for performance. Same. Same. And I, and it's something that is, we know, um, is related to depression, to schizophrenia, to focus to, I mean, there's like everything you can think of that would, you would want strength and, um, health and vitality. Like, so, so one of the super interesting studies about this is that mothers who share food with their children, like, you know, they're, it's actually, it was a pacifier study. Mothers who um, clean off their child's pacifier, like, you know, I don't know if you have kids, but most people yeah. have kids who've had their pacifier fall on the floor or something, you're in a place that you can't um, sanitize it, you might just lick it off or you might just clean it off um, yourself. And it sounds super gross, but it's very, very common for parents to do that. And they found it's super beneficial. It's very beneficial for the child because what you're doing is you're swapping the, the bacteria in your um, saliva. And as long as you're not sick, you're actually giving them some really great seeding into their gut. And hmm. so sharing food with someone who's healthy, like if you go out to dinner with uh, Michael Jordan or one of the, you know, sharing food is a way to actually get bacteria, um, healthy bacteria. Now this, this topic is like the worst topic to be talking about after a pandemic because like <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to hear about like yeah. anything that requires you to share bacteria or, you know, but there's, there is a flip side and we might see the negative effects of what we've been doing for the last two years um, over time. But what an interesting segue into what we're actually talking about as far as COVID though, because think about if there, there's all these anomalies where, you know, is it type O blood or what, yeah. what, what is it? Why are some people, you know, getting um, the same viral load, but not getting sick? What is up with their immune system? And what if it's as simple as like, finding that out through your gut bacteria and swapping that and putting that into people as well, you know, maybe that's a very healthy way of sort of, you know, tamping down this, this pandemic. Well, I can tell you right, right now that your microbiome is determining your immune health. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, Hey, I didn't get COVID, but my like friend did. And we, you know, we were around the same people. Hey, it's the difference is probably right there in your gut. Yeah. Yeah. So this fasting part of it, you're, you are an expert in a lot of areas. Um, but the fasting thing is interesting to me because like I said, in the beginning, it's free there, mm -hmm. there's nothing to pay for. It really is just you and your willpower. Um, how, so there's, there's different ways to think about it. There's like the 16 and eight, you know, I think people have, have heard about that where, you know, you have this 16 hour window, probably tops for most people that you don't eat most of which happens at night while you're sleeping. Um, there's a five, two method. Um, there's also a fasting mimicking diet, which is probably a little bit different where you are allowed some calories, but not over this threshold to kind of, um, give you the benefits. So what, it, what is the best way for people to start and what are the upper limits of like, okay, maybe you're overdoing this, uh, this lack of eating. Yeah. Anywhere between 12 and 24 hours would be called an intermittent fast. Then once you get over 24 hours, you really go into kind of prolonged fasting. Um, at there, I would think of it like exercise again. So Ben, when you wanted to first run, you know, your first race or whatever, say you want to run a half marathon or full marathon, you didn't go out and run 12, 13 miles on the first day. That's, that would be ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I feel when people say, Hey, I tried the 16, eight, but it didn't work for me. Like I couldn't do it. Or it made me feel really exhausted. And I didn't think that it worked. And I equated the same way. Like, why would you start, you know, take, take a processed American diet that where you're eating 16 hours a day and only fasting for eight, um, not getting enough sleep or exercise. And then you go from that to doing a 16 hour fast. Of course it was difficult. And of course it didn't work for you. So you can't think of intermittent fasting like an on and off switch. It's, it's literally like exercise. You work yourself up to it. You find the right mix for your body and your lifestyle. Um, not me and you might be healthy, but we might have completely different exercise regimens 
that are working for both of us that are different. Same thing with intermittent fasting. Start with 12 hours. Like if you're eating typically, you think it's easy to fast 12 hours. Awesome. Then move up to the next step and move up and move up and play with it. See how, um, how many hours works for you. So if you look at the benefit ratio, there is a benefit as soon as you get over the 12 hour mark, you know, as soon as you get to 13, 14, 15, 16, and beyond, you're going to get benefits at, at 13. You're going to get benefits at 14, 15, 16. And again, like exercise, it's, is it, you know, are you a superior person if you can do a three-day fast? Well, it's kind of like saying you can run a, you know, you can do a triathlon or ultra marathon. Like, right. yes, amazing, more power to you. But is that, does that mean that everyone should do that to be healthy? No, like that's how I would think. So in those moments, because I, I, I try to do that and I'm pretty good about it. You know, I would say I go from end of meal, you know, with kids and activities. And sometimes, you know, it's probably eight o'clock, maybe by the latest, um, but usually it's seven o'clock. And then I don't eat again until about 11 or noon the next day. Um, hope, please tell me that coffee is okay in the morning. Yes. But, okay. <laughs> and it is just black coffee. I don't do all the fruit food stuff. Um, okay. So good. But for the, for those out there that are just, that are just trying, or they're doing one of these pushes that you talk about where, you know, maybe you're just going to go through, um, an intermittent fast for the week, but then you pick one day, we're just going to push it and maybe go 24 hours or maybe, you know, 18 or 20 hours or something like that in those moments where you are getting cravings. Cause you just, you just will, your body's going to scream at you for nutrition because that's, that's the way we've conditioned it. Yeah. Are, are there, are there things that you can drink outside of just water that is, that doesn't deactivate sort of the benefits of the fast? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and this happens all the time, troubleshooting. Uh, water is best. Uh, sparkling water, great. Um, flavor sparkling water, probably fine. Even up to 40 calories of certain amounts of food can still keep you in that metabolic fasting. It depends on what you're doing fasting for. So um, if your goal is to get some of the metabolic benefits, you could probably be okay with you know, coffee with a splash of something, or, um, I love to do like, I love chai because it's like tea with spices. Um, mm -hmm. and so you can do that as long as you're not going over the 40 calorie threshold and it doesn't have a ton of sugar or protein or pretty much any sugar or protein. So surprisingly people will say to me, Oh, can I have a protein thing? anything more than four grams of protein will break that fast. So you can't really, you don't really want to have branching amino acids. You don't really want to have a protein mm -hmm. bar. Um, you want to stick to fat or to um, non-nutritive um, things like lemon water or things like that under 40 calories. Yeah. I, I think that was the lemon water. I know people have done like the cayenne and all that stuff yeah. in the water, just to give it a little bit of spice and a little yeah. bit more you do electrolytes. Yeah. So all that stuff is fine. You know, even so sometimes in the morning too, you know, I read somewhere that, you know, that, that Redmond's mineral salt is, is kind of a good electrolyte drink just to have in the morning as you're doing a yeah. fast, just to kind of like give yourself some hydration. So yeah. all, all of that's okay. Like I'm on the right path. Yes. Okay. Exactly. So, you know, if you were doing something like a um, dinner to dinner fast, uh, once in a quarter, I'll do something like that or once a month. Um, because in the Mormon community, there's great data that they do a Sunday fast, they call it, which is a Saturday dinner to Sunday dinner fast. And they found unbelievable benefits in that population, even compared, even if they, you know, control for diet and control mm -hmm. for the other things, because Mormons are that group of people, it's just a healthy population. They found that this dinner to dinner fast was literally transformative to their health. So, um, doing something like that. When I do something like that, I'm having all kinds of things because it's really hard. I mean, I'm doing electrolytes and I'm doing water and I'm doing my chai and I'm doing, um, because even when you're doing a 24 hour, even having a small amount of calories, even above the 40 calorie, so 40 calorie threshold is for the typical 12 mm -hmm. to 16, 18 hour fast. But if you're doing a full day fast, you could have up to like 150 calories or something of non-nutrient foods, you know, like, um, that won't break your fast. So I definitely play with both of those things. So it makes it so much easier when you're actually having something. Um, bone broth though, and branching amino acids are two big mistakes I see all the time. People oh, really? are like, because they consume tons of protein in those, 
um, especially if you're having a ton of it and you're going to kind of shortchange some of your benefits. Ah, that's good to know because as, yeah. as the weather gets a little cooler around here, you know, the, yeah. the idea of having some bone broth, you know, at some point in time during the day is always kind of more top of mind. Cause it just, yeah. it's, it's like drinking chicken noodle soup or something, yeah. you know, you can totally do it. Just, um, one, make sure that you're having less than four grams of protein, which is hard when yeah, it's a yeah. big protein rich um, thing. And then you want to also make sure that, um, if you're enjoying it, you do it in your eating window, not in your fasting window. You know, has there been a study, um, I know that you talked about the Mormons, but you know, during Ramadan, it's a very, I mean, there's a large population around the world that practices Ramadan and it's a very dietary restrictive uh, time for them. Has there been ever any studies done yeah, about like the, the health benefits of, of that group? The first um, studies on intermittent fasting was on that group um, showing the benefits during that month. Um, oh, of really? And, all stuff. and they do it like the opposite of circadian fasting. They're like eating, um, they'll wake up super early in the morning before the sun comes up to eat. And then they won't eat from sun up to sundown, which is like completely the opposite. So they're doing a late night meal yeah. and like an early, uh, but they're still benefits. So you can see that just giving your body a break from food is something that's intuitive, that's safe, healthy, and effective. Yeah. So I know that uh, you got to get going here in a second, but I just want to reiterate some of the, some of the benefits, you know, I think people that are listening are like, okay, I, I know what fasting is now. I know how simple it is. Um, I know from my own, my own uh, fasting stuff that I do, I know later in the morning from about nine o'clock to noon, my mind feels the most sharp it does all day you know, and that's like the peak part of my fast. And so I know, I don't know what is going on with my gut. I don't feel any difference with, with my gut or my body, but I know from my, my mental processing speed is so much faster from like nine to noon. What are some of the benefits that people will maybe realize right away or maybe unrealized gains that are going on inside their body? Yeah. Intermittent fasting has you'll feel the GI um, benefits most people will feel right away. Like for someone who's um, dealing with reflux or leaky gut or GI issues, just lengthening the amount of rest that you give your gut is going to be beneficial. Like if you have a pet, almost always when they are sick, um, they don't eat and, or we don't feed them and you're letting that gut kind of rest. So it can be really beneficial for any kind of gut health issues energy and mood, um, all of the, those things are immediate benefits that you'll see when you kind of step away. Also, if you think about it, we're on this constant insulin um, glucose train where uh, a lot of people rely on that to feel energetic and then they crash and then they mm -hmm. need another boost. And, then, and just getting off that train of constant need for sugar and caffeine to get yourself up um, because then you experience a crash after is one of the biggest benefits um, of intermittent fasting. Yeah, and and like you kind of touched on earlier, this on the cellular level, this this idea of autophagy, where your cells are basically having time to clean house and yeah. take yeah, the trash like, out, basically. Basically, right. If you had guests coming over your house at, at all hours of the day and late at night at ten midnight or one a.m., you would never be able to clean up because then the next morning you have guests coming at six a.m. Right. So it's the same concept. Autophagy is a cellular clean out when they notice, Hey, nobody's coming over. Let's go ahead and clean up everything. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. And, and like I was saying for everybody listening out there, it really is that easy. And I promise you, um, that you will feel the health benefits mentally, cognitively, emotionally. I think the mood is the other thing that I notice as well that, um, and I actually see it on the, on the backside of that, you know, when I do eat my, my lunch and if I am making a bad choice at lunch, I feel sluggish. I sometimes feel moody and I'm like, oh, well, I just ate. And that probably makes sense why I feel, <laughs> feel that way. Yeah. But, um, uh, well, listen, I, uh, I just want to reiterate, you know, how thankful I am that you spent some time, uh, with me today. And I'm going to encourage everybody, everybody to go out and get your new book. I'm so effing tired, which is a brilliant title. <laughs> I love the title. It's out now. You can get on Amazon and changing hands bookstore. They can find you, uh, at amymdwellness.com. Uh, where you do a lot of one-on-one -on -one consulting, 
tons of information there and you're, you're fabulous on Instagram at fasting MD uh, and then Amy Shaw MD on Twitter. Um, I hope I got all of them. You got it. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Right. You too. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Well, that's going to do it here at Unrestricted. I want to thank Dr. Amy Shaw again for taking the time out of her very busy, busy life to sit down with us and educate everybody on the benefits, the free benefits of intermittent fasting, your circadian clock, your circadian rhythm on both the cellular level uh, and biologically and, and why and how that's so important to our overall health. So I want to thank her. I also want to make sure that you guys uh, remember to go out and get her book. Please do that. It's called I'm So Effing Tired. You can find it on Amazon and Changing Hands Bookstore. And to find everything about Amy, it's amymdwellness.com. Also on Instagram at FastingMD and on Twitter at AmyShawMD to find everything that she's doing uh, in the health and wellness world. I also want to thank you guys as the listeners. Thank you guys so much for supporting uh, Unrestricted on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio app. I also want to thank you for leaving comments, for rating the show. Please keep those up. I really, really do appreciate it. I also have to thank, and I must thank my sponsors, Iaso. Iaso is the only cold laser red light therapy you can do from home and hands-free for any bumps, bruises, pains, achy joints, achy, achy muscles. I use it all the time, and I use it. Uh, it's so easy to use it in the morning as I'm going through emails and just doing some work. Uh, I let Yasso do work on me. And also, Wexford Harbor Insurance, to customize and optimize your insurance needs for you and your family, please check out Pat Kelly and his staff at wexford-harbor.com slash unrestricted. You will be completely satisfied. So thank you all so much. Until next time, be well. <laughs> 